This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. We all know the Recording Academy as the people who bring us the Grammys every year, but they're also committed to encouraging musicians to get involved in the issues that concern them. This year, October 18th will be District Advocate Day, and thousands of musicians, engineers, producers, and other Academy members will be visiting their congresspeople to discuss the pending legislation that affects creators. Welcome to the future of what? I'm your host, Portia Sabin, president of the independent record label, Kill Rockstars. Support for the future of what comes from Merch Table. Since 2002, Merch Table has operated and managed online stores for hundreds of successful musicians, record labels, comedians, artists, and small businesses. Big or small, set up shop today by visiting merchtable.com. Today, we talk to the Recording Academy's Chief Industry, Government, and Member Relations Officer, as well as a former trustee, about District Advocate Day and how to get involved. It's all coming up on The Future of What. Support for the future of what comes from Sound Exchange. You're listening to the future of what. We're talking to Daryl Friedman of the Recording Academy. Daryl, welcome back to the future of what. Thanks for having me back. It's always a pleasure to be with you. It's always a pleasure to have you. It's so fun to talk to you and hear about what's going on at the Recording Academy. We actually just had our board meeting last night for the Pacific Northwest chapter, so I got to see everybody, and that's always nice. Great. So this year, October 18th, is going to be District Advocate Day. And this program has been running for a few years, and it had a different name the last couple of years. Right. But this year, it's District Advocate. Right. We really wanted to change the focus to the advocate themselves. This day is really about individuals using their power as voters and their power as constituents to become advocates and to be part of the change that we're all trying to affect. So we changed the name to really name it after then. So it's now District Advocate Day. So tell us about this program has been wildly successful in the last few years. Tell us about that. Yeah, we really were kind of caught by surprise the way it's grown. But I think what the growth in District Advocate Day is really tracking and correlates to the growth in artist activism that you've seen over the last few years in general. We started this with 100 people the first year we put out the word. And we were delighted 100 people would sign up and hold a day and make sure that they went to visit their member of Congress. And the next day, it was one of those kind of uh-oh moments when the ticker kept moving and we, we had a thousand people. <laughs> so we had, next day we had a thousand people to manage. And, and then the following year, we had 2,000 people. Wow. So we, what we've had is the management of this has become more complicated, but the beauty of it is we cover so many districts across the country. There are 435 congressional districts. And sometimes people think that the music industry is located in three of them. And we're not. We're everywhere. We're in Seattle and we're in every corner of this country. And the fact that we can have constituents, academy members, knocking on the congressman's door at home in every corner of the country shows the fact that music is made everywhere. Absolutely. And also that there are issues facing Congress today that are really important to music creators. Do you want to tell us about a couple of those issues? Yeah, well, I think there's issues. If you are any kind of music creator, whether you're an artist, performer, or a songwriter, composer, or a producer, an engineer, there are things that Congress needs to do to fix your livelihood. Because music is a highly regulated industry, a lot of compulsory licenses and legal structures. 
and they have not kept up to date with the changing technologies. So as music has completely changed in the way it's consumed and produced, the laws haven't really changed since the 70s, since the 8-track era. So for artists, that means having one great standard, no matter what platform they're played on. If you're a consumer and you're listening to your favorite song, whether you listen to that song at Pandora or Spotify or AM or FM radio or any other service, you should be paying, that those services should be paying the artist what's the equivalent of a fair market standard. So one of the things we're trying to do is make those great standards that the courts use to set the royalties, make them all fair market value. And of course, the biggest offender in that area is FM radio, which pays absolutely zero, which you think close to changing finally after 90 years. For songwriters, they have an incredibly complex system of regulations that suppress the rates. ASCAP and BMI operates under consent decrees, settlements with the U.S. government that date back to before the war, and they're still operating under those consent decrees that really give an advantage to the people they're negotiating with, and songwriters lose out. And of course, producers and engineers have no recognition in the law, and there's one bill now that's going to change that, the AMP Act, the Allocation for Music Producers Act, and that bill would ensure that performance royalties to producers are paid out transparently and quickly and accurately to producers. So all music creators really have a stake in this fight, and all music creators are going to be out there in force on October 18th. So one of the pieces of legislation was called the Fair Play, Fair Pay Act. Is it still called that? Yes, it's still called that. It's actually growing in its momentum. We have more co-sponsors now um, than at this point in the last Congress. And actually, radio is even starting to talk about wanting to end this battle and negotiate a settlement with us. So that's going really well. Wow. Did something change? What's going on? Why does, why is radio suddenly after 90 years and <laughs> deciding that maybe they want to pay us <laughs> properly? I think, it's a num- I think it's a number of things. First of all, they know that they have a much better arrangement if we can do this amicably as a settlement. Because if Congress resolves the issue, it's just going to be a, a, a new royalty stream from them. Or if the administration resolves the issue, because some of these international negotiations like NAFTA, which is currently being renegotiated, there's a possibility of getting it inserted in that as well. And so radio knows that if they let this happen to them, they're going to be much worse situations. But if they work with us, if they work with the music community, we might find a, a construct that's fair for them, fair for us, and also helps them ease into the digital transition, which they really need to do and where they currently do pay a royalty. So if there's some balance that can be struck with the radio industry, I think many in the radio side are now willing to talk about that. Wow. Well, that would be extremely exciting. I feel like I would be like living to see something. Yeah. If you think about that Frank Sinatra and Bing Crosby were all fighting this fight, the fact that our generation is going to be the ones to take over the finish line is actually really exciting. Yeah, that, that really is exciting. There's another piece of legislation that was very recently introduced that's quite controversial. It's the Transparency in Music Licensing and Ownership Act. And I know that that's another thing that we're going to talk to our Congress people about. What is the message coming from the Recording Academy on that? Well, that's a bill we're actually against and we'll be fighting it. Whenever you see transparency in the name of a bill, it sounds great until you read the fine print. And in this case, what this is, is a bill that's basically designed by the the users of music, restaurants and bars, as well as the digital services who want to have an advantage over the creators. And so they got a bill introduced that really put some onerous restrictions on what is a real problem. And we do have a real problem of the lack of accurate data in the industry. And industry has been working for several years to try to resolve this. What this does is, first of all, it gives the task to the United States government and the Copyright Office in particular 
which isn't exactly known for its cutting edge IT. <laughs> the Copyright Office is woefully out of date on their IT. And when the government tries to take on something big like the healthcare website, you see that sometimes the private sector is better equipped to do that. But even more egregious to us as music creators is the provision in the bill that if for some reason content owner or creator was unable to provide the data, they would lose their right to statutory damages for infringement. Right. So literally, someone could infringe their work and the incentive to prevent that statutory damages would completely go away. Right. So we recognize the real problem with uh, data and we need a solution to that, but that bill is certainly not the solution. Absolutely. And it also begs the question, did the people who introduced this bill even talk to anyone in the music industry? Because as we know, there are several solutions possible. I mean, SoundExchange is an obvious one. You know, there is a database that exists that already has all master recordings in a, an entity that was mandated by the government. So, you know, it's, it's not like solutions are not out there. Absolutely. And even um, and SoundExchange, of course, is, is dealing in the the master recording side, the sound recording side, but ASCAP and BMI have also announced that they're working on a, a database of the publishing composition side, and the industry can certainly resolve this issue if we put our data together. And Congress and the government have a role in incentivizing the creation of that, but certainly the government creating its own database is a little bit wary of that, and certainly the idea of removing statutory damages is just unconscionable. Yeah, Absolutely. And, and, you know, from my perspective as a label owner, you know, such a, because part of this is that there would be a registration component where creators would have to register their works with the copyright office. And that would create such an onerous burden on us because, you know, we don't have any information about, you know, is it every single version of every single song that we've ever released? Is that what we're talking about? I mean, I'd probably have to hire a whole new staff right. to just do copyright registrations. And, and that would be really crazy. Right. This bill is certainly not the solution to the data problem, but the industry needs to work on something, and we, we are doing that. So hopefully we'll have a resolution to this issue, and this bill can say goodnight to it. <laughs> Here on these cliffs of Dover, so high you can't see over while your head is spinning Hold tight, it's just beginning You come from parents wanting A childhood rough and rotten I come from wealth and beauty Untouched by work or duty, you know My love, my love And oh, my love, my love We both go down together I found you a tattoo triumph A dirty daughter from the labor camps I laid you down in the grass of a clearing You wept but your soul was willing And oh, my love, my love And oh, my love, my love both go down together.
consent to this love But I hold your hand Meet me on my vast veranda My sweet untouched Miranda And while the seagulls are crying We fall but our souls are flying in our My love, my love In our my love, my love And our my love, oh my love And our my love, my love We both go down Wait for it <laughs> Together That was We Both Go Down Together by Colin Malloy. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on iTunes and leave us a review. To find out what's coming up next, follow us on Twitter at KRSFOW. Want an even closer look at issues we talk about on the show? Our monthly newsletter will keep you informed about news, upcoming events, episodes, and more. You'll also have access to exclusive offers and behind-the-scenes looks. Sign up at KillerRockStars.com slash TheFutureOfWhat and win a Future of What t-shirt. You're listening to The Future of What. We're talking to Daryl Friedman of the Recording Academy. So this Friday, the 22nd, is the end date for registration for District Advocate Day online. And so do you want to tell us how people can get registered to participate? Well, the easiest way, and this is a, a program for members of the Recording Academy, so I know a lot of our members in the Pacific Northwest area, actually all over the country, listen to your podcast. So I would just encourage our members, if you haven't already registered, the easiest way to do it is simply to text the word register to 52886, and you'll be sent back a link to your phone that will um, give you a very easy way to, to register for the day. And registration will close at midnight on Friday the 22nd, so it's time to get locked in. And, and all we ask is you to hold one day. Uh, we've asked creators if you could give one day a year to make your industry better, to make your community stronger, would you do it? And everyone says yes. And so we're asking this whole October 18th. As we get closer, we'll know the time of your meeting, but we'll have you go knock on the door of your congressman. You're their boss. You hire them, you fire them. So they listen to you when you come, especially when they're home. So uh, we encourage you, even if it's one person in the district, it can make a huge impact. So it's 52886 is the number to text you and just text the word register. Awesome. So this is for members only. Could other musicians and people, creators who, who are hearing this, who are inspired, could they get involved? Absolutely can get involved. The program, because we coordinate this large program all over the country, we, we limit to members, but there are many other ways to get involved. And what we want you to do is, is show that there's a broad music community all over the country on that day. So on October 18th, we have a, a Twitter message on our website you can, you can follow. But I would say go to Grammy.com slash advocacy. And the advocacy section of the Grammy.com website has a lot of tools you can use, as well as on the day, October 18th, will be an action alert where you can let your congressman know, even if you're not on one of those meetings, that you're a music creator, you're in their district, you vote, and what they do in music matters to you. And it has a huge impact. 
Yeah. So this is really quite an undertaking because you guys, the Recording Academy, is actually scheduling these meetings. That's right. We do all the work for you and we set up the meetings with the offices. So last year we had over 350 different congressional districts that we were coordinating from our command center in Washington, D.C. And of course, we have incredible team captains all over the country who lead those meetings. We have an amazing system of 12 chapters all over the country with um, the board and staff, as you know, that, that we're tired of to make this all work. It takes a village, but we certainly have a very powerful day. And it's really the largest and only mass grassroots movement for music makers in the country. Absolutely. So, Daryl, should people bring their guitars and stuff when they go see their lawmakers? <laughs> bring your guitars, bring your cellos, bring your sousaphones, bring anything you have. We've had music played in the offices. It makes a huge impact. And they remember those meetings more than anything. But most of all, even if you don't have a, an instrument, just tell your story. We in Washington, we're on the Hill every day and we're giving them the facts, we're giving them the legal language, we're giving them the wonky historical policy positions. But nobody can tell the story of a music maker like the music maker. So we encourage you when you go to those offices, tell them how you make a living, tell them the difficulty, the, the inspiration and the perspiration that's involved in making music. And that's what they'll remember. Absolutely. I've been to Grammys on the Hill several times and I remember the look on lawmakers' faces when Dave from Sam and Dave came into Congress with us, I think. Maybe Sam Moore from, you know, he's, he testified for us. Maybe it was Sam. Yeah, they, they really are kind of blown away when they meet these legends. Yeah. We had Smokey Robinson last year and, you know, modern celebrities like Tyrese, but we also have a lot of working class musicians who are not famous, but who, can, who have a compelling story to tell and who need to have relief even more so than the celebrities. Oh, absolutely. I mean, because this is people's livelihoods. And, you know, we have that in my district. I'm in a small district in Washington state. But we have Amber Sweeney, who's a wonderful soul musician, R&B musician, who lives in Battleground. So we get to go and talk to our, our rep together about that. Great. Which is, you know, her struggle of how to how to make a living as a musician in this day and age, which is not easy, as we all know. Makes all the difference. So we'll repeat the dates again. October 18th is District Advocate Day. You guys can sign up until the 22nd by texting register to 52886. 52886. Awesome. I actually just did that last night. <laughs> it was fun. Oh, good. Fun and efficient. Yeah. Yeah. Very quick and very easy. Absolutely. Is there anything else you want to add, Daryl? Well, just to know that our district advocacy day is the major activation of the year, but we really do need people's commitment and advocacy all year round. So I would encourage you to follow us on Twitter at Grammy Advocacy and on our Facebook page at Grammy Advocacy, and, and stay on our website, and, and you'll learn a lot of information about the various issues and what you can do to help move these issues forward. I think we're in the final 11 months of the chairman of the committee who oversees copyright, and he has vowed, he had a six-year term, and he's in the last, I'm sorry, 17 months of a six-year term. So we expect to see a lot of action in the coming year and a half, so please stay informed and stay involved. Wow. That is very exciting and kind of scary. <laughs> yeah. Daryl Friedman of the Recording Academy, thank you so much for being with us today on The Future of What? Thank you. Thanks for all you do in educating the community about the cutting edge topics in our industry.
That was Trouble by Hands. You're listening to The Future of What? If you're enjoying this program, like us on Facebook and become a subscriber on iTunes. Support for The Future of What? comes from Merch Table. Kill Rockstars has partnered with Merch Table for almost six years now, and they've come through for us in a lot of ways. Like when the comedian Kurt Brownoller wanted a face towel with his face on it? Merch Table found a way to make this, and it's been one of our most popular items in our mail order store. KRS loves Merch Table. You're listening to The Future of What? We're talking to Glenn Lorbecki. Glenn, welcome to The Future of What? Thank you, Portia. What is The Future of What? (laughs) Good question. It's like the future of what is this sort of like, where are we going with the music industry? Yeah. Like, do we have a future? And if so, what is it? One likes to think so. Exactly. Exactly. So I have you today on the line to talk about District Advocate Day, which had a former name the last couple of years that it's been done, but it is now District Advocate Day, and that is October 18th this year. Right. So do you want to just tell us what that is and why we're doing it? Absolutely. We all have representatives in Congress, no matter where you live in the United States. And if you're tied into advocacy at all, you know who those people are. And it's really important for us to know who those people are because they make laws that either benefit us or restrict our livelihood. And in this particular case, our music community is getting more and more active with Congress and with legislation regard to the laws that are being passed, regulating what it is that we do and how we make a living. So in our particular district, in my particular district, Susan Del Bene is the uh, congresswoman and she has a technology background. And so we were hoping to speak with her to get her take on exactly what sort of laws are being promoted by some of the big technology companies in the Seattle area that are going to affect musicians all around the country. And you did this last year, and you did, in fact, speak to Susan Del Bene, correct? We did. We had uh, at least an hour with her, and we had a number of musicians that are members of the Recording Academy come into her office and speak with her and her staff. In fact, we even had a a guitar player, Damon Buxton, who came in and played a song for her and her staff. It was really, it's amazing to be able to present music rather than just talk about it. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And is that something that they're doing around the country or did you guys just think of that yourselves to bring a musician and actually play? Uh, You know, I wish we could take credit for it. This is an outgrowth. uh, I think a number of other chapters are doing this around the country, but this is an outgrowth of something we did a few years ago for Grammy on the Hill, where we actually took performers to Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., and performed in their offices or in the hallways or wherever we could find time to corner them and and make them listen to our music. We had Yolanda Adams and Sheila E. and Christine Albert and her husband, Chris Gage, and me and uh, a number of other people who just kind of held impromptu concerts in the halls of Congress, which drew lots of attention because they don't do that on a daily basis. Yeah, I was going to say the halls of Congress when I've been there have been uh, not like that. Pretty quiet. Pretty sterile. Yeah, pretty sterile. That's really cool. Yeah, it was fun. So one nice thing about this program is that it's getting you guys back in front of these same people kind of year after year, which, you know, I think has more impact than maybe just seeing a senator or a congressperson once. Well, absolutely. Particularly because the people that are on the other side of some of these important issues have lobbyists that see them every week. 
And so what they find interesting and kind of refreshing about us, other than the fact that we play music <laughs> in their office, is that we are the folks in the trenches. We are the folks whose livelihoods are directly impacted by their legislation. The people they see from NAB and other sources are lobbyists, and they get paid to go and talk about the things they're paid to talk about. But these are bills and, and discussions that really impact each of us as small business owners. Exactly. So yes, they love they love to see us. Yeah. And Susan Delbeni is of particular importance this year because she's actually a co-sponsor of a bill that just came up, which we've talked about on this show before, the Transparency in Music Licensing Act, which is kind of problematic for music creators. I have to say that that whole bill is a head scratcher for me. I don't understand why they would decide to make the ownership of copyright so onerous, O-N-E-R-O-U-S, <laughs> on, the, on the backs of the musicians who create this uh, intellectual property. Del Bene has a history of being a champion of technology and, and, as a result, intellectual property. When we went to visit her last year, she was over the issues. She knew as much as we did about each of these particular topics that we were talking about last year. And was going on to ask us about, you know, when is the music industry going to get together and come up with a unified solution on how they want to handle copyright? She was over it, and, and we were very impressed. We thought that she was an ally of ours. Now to see her co-sponsoring this bill with Sensenbrenner, it's, like I said, it's a head-scratcher for me because this is sort of anti-intellectual property rights legislation, would you say? Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of wish that I was in your district because I would love to go to that meeting and, and see what she has to say about why she co-sponsored it. I mean, because... It's not an adversarial thing. It's informational. I mean, I, I'm just fascinated. I mean, if, as you say, she knows what she's doing, yes. she must have a pretty good reason. Exactly. You know, and also, Congress people can't know everything. So, you know, part of our duty when we're going to talk to legislators is is to educate them about what is actually going on in the music business. And, and the biggest thing that jumps out about that particular bill is that it's clear that nobody who wrote that bill talked to anybody in the music industry because there are solutions that exist in the music industry that haven't even been mentioned. Well, and they're making claims that ASCAP and BMI didn't bother to consult them in their response to the request for a creation of a database. So, you know, nobody's talking to anyone. Right, right. <laughs> we have to talk, people, and this is a great opportunity, October 18th. Exactly. So, Glenn, I have a question. Obviously, any member of the Recording Academy can sign up and go and, and meet with their representative. Mm-hmm. Is there an opportunity for people, for, for musicians who are not members of the Recording Academy to do this or to be involved? You know, the Recording Academy relies on members to kind of spearhead these operations, but it's pretty open to anyone who has an interest in advocacy in their district. And you'd be surprised how many people end up joining the Recording Academy as a member as a result of seeing some of the, the direct action that we take uh, on their behalf in terms of advocacy. So anyone can get in contact with the Recording Academy office and get involved. It benefits them to become a member, but they don't have to be a member. Good to know. And you, sir, have been a member for quite a while, and you've been many things in the organization, <laughs> including a trustee, but you've also been an elected official in the chapter. And yeah, you've had a lot to do with the Recording Academy. So clearly, 
you you feel like it's a pretty useful organization. You know, I was national officer for four years and, and have served on many of the other committees. And I still continue to serve on the National TV Committee and several other committees as well. At first, uh, I wasn't quite sure what to make of the Recording Academy because all anyone knows about the organization is that it's the Grammys, right? But there's so much more that goes on beyond the TV show around the, you know, around the calendar year. And advocacy has all of a sudden in the last few years sort of emerged as the one, I don't want to say bully pulpit, but opportunity for us to kind of flex our muscles a little bit and pull out these artists who, who really do have something relevant to say about the laws that are being passed. So my opinion about the Recording Academy has always been as long as they continue to bring resources into my community, I'll be there to help. And so far, so good. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's, you know, I think what you're saying is interesting because it sort of has cast, I mean, the Recording Academy is not an organization of only musicians, although many musicians are members. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we clearly have a need on a national level for some sort of artists organization for this exact reason, so that artists' voices can be heard yes. because... And rightly so, even though I'm a label owner, you know, I do not speak for musicians. I I often speak for musicians. I often have my interests very much aligned with musicians. But really, there needs to be, you know, I don't want to say a union, but like a group, (laughs) some kind of group that is that can give the musicians voice, because obviously, really, we need that right now. Yeah, the the musicians union is pretty effective for symphonic musicians. Exactly. Yeah. Not much for the the people in the trenches playing clubs or even playing big concerts for that matter. It's turned into a kind of a specialized organization. And while they speak, you know, pretty well in line with, with our thoughts on a lot of issues, their coverage is fairly limited. The Recording Academy has sort of been Switzerland, if you will, for, for many of these groups, because we can talk to the musicians union, we can talk to the RIAA, we can talk to the labels, we can even, in some cases, talk to NAB, National Association of Broadcasters, and bring a lot of these people to the table, something that the union really can't do. Yeah, exactly. Well, Glenn Lorbecki, former trustee of Recording Academy, thank you so much for joining us today on The Future of What? Happy to help out, and everybody get out there and see your congresspeople on October 18th.
That was Mind Hole by Numbers. You're listening to The Future of What? If you're enjoying this program, like us on Facebook and become a subscriber on iTunes. Chris Orlowski is a singer-songwriter from Seattle. He joins us via Skype. Chris, thanks for being on The Future of What? Portia, it is an honor to be here. Aw, so nice. So Chris Orlowski, how did you get into music in the first place? I got into music because I was surrounded by it as a kid, and so I rebelled. And then later I realized that there's no point rebelling from basically destiny. Like I was meant to be a musician. (laughs) 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 Your parents were musicians or or they just played music all the time? My dad used to play in the church and like he would do weddings. Him and my mom were like the, they're in like some, I can't remember the author's name now, some famous author's book as like these hippie wedding singers. (laughs) It's awesome. (laughs) Cause I'm from Bellingham. So enough said, but yeah, I've just been around it my whole life. And I I picked up a guitar when I was overseas at my host parents' house and it kind of just rekindled the fire and I've been been playing ever since. I'm still getting better, you know, I'm not perfect at my craft, but I think that's kind of the fun of it is you 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 keep learning, you know, something like music. It's it's a never-ending journey. Absolutely. And you know, there's so many ways to expand your horizons. You can start playing a different instrument or you can play with different collaborators and look at you, yeah. you're doing Gershwin. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it the fun never ends. Yeah. So how did you get involved with the Recording Academy? So a friend of mine, Bill Gibson, was one of the trustees at the Recording Academy's Pacific Northwest chapter. And he said, hey, why don't you come to one of these events that we do? And it was their annual conference where they talk about licensing, they talk about songwriting, they talk about all these different facets of the music industry. And I loved it. It was a great networking opportunity, but also brought together a lot of like-minded people who you were really interested in doing music full time or being involved with arts education. And it was so exciting that I decided to join the board. Cool. That's very cool. Yeah. You're on the board with me of the Pacific Northwest chapter, just for (laughs) full disclosure. So everybody knows. And so, you know, had you really heard anything about the Recording Academy before you got started or was this the first instance when Bill told you about it? It was the first instance, actually. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people don't know that much about the Recording Academy, except when you say, oh, they're the people who put on the Grammys. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. And it's still that way. And I really would love for that to change because it's a lot more than just the Grammys. (laughs) It is. It is. And so that's why today we are talking about this initiative that they're putting together. So what do you feel is important to you about participating? Well... As an artist, it feels like it's so easy to f- feel like you're kind of drowning in all of these issues that are, ha- you know, these advocacy issues that I don't really n- know if I have anyone that can help sometimes. You know, the Recording Academy has been a really good gateway for me to start to understand, you know, what is the Fair Play, Fair Pay Act, or how are PROs actually, you know, getting money to artists and is there issues with the streaming services? Like these are things that, you know, I didn't always think about before because I was so busy writing music and performing right. and doing that, of that part of the music that I loved. Yeah. And so you, while, while everybody has their agenda, it's really an opportunity for me to have a direct channel and a dialogue with policymakers, you know, that are actually going to be helping us get some of these initiatives through. So it doesn't seem like there's much that would be more important than actually being able to talk with the policymakers and have a dialogue and say, hey, I'm actually the person this will be affecting, you know? 
Absolutely. Yeah, it's which makes it even more important <laughs> for me now more than ever. Well, of course, anything that can affect your income, your current income or future income is going to be a big deal. And just for people listening who may not be aware, the Fair Play, Fair Pay Act is basically the act that's currently in Congress where we're trying to get a performance royalty for terrestrial radio play of songs. And I don't know, have you had any commercial radio play of any of your songs yet? Or is that something you think might happen down the line? Yeah, I think for this next album, it's a lot more likely as we start to talk to record labels more since they're they're kind of at the forefront of artists getting, you know, <laughs> yeah. AM and F radio support. But I've only gotten a little bit, so it really hasn't affected me too much yet. Right. But, you know, even indie artists, people I work with all the time, often get songs on the radio in Europe. And because there's no reciprocity, yeah. we don't get those, you know, the artists don't get those royalties for the European radio play that they would get if we had a performance right here. So it does affect, I mean, it affects, you know, almost everybody, even if you're not getting played, you know, on Z100 or Top 40, whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing to me how far the U.S. is behind on that. I mean, the only other countries that don't pay for master recording royalties on terrestrial radio are North Korea, Iran, and China right now. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's really embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Chris Orlowski is a singer-songwriter from Seattle. Chris, thanks so much for joining us on The Future of What? Thanks, Portia. Kill rock stars for life, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's our show. The music we played today was used by permission. You heard Colin Malloy, Hands, Numbers, and of course, our theme song, Mind Your Own Business by the Delta Five. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and leave us a review. For more info on our shows, check out our website at killrockstars.com slash the future of what and sign up for our newsletter. Our program was engineered by Brent Asbury at Beta Petrol and is produced by Will Watts and Anna McLean. I'm Portia Sabin, president of Kill Rock Stars. See you next week. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.